0: AgriTalk is brought to you by full scale from helena grow strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from full scale at reproduction and by propane propane is the energy for everyone especially farmers environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm see how at propane.com cold temperatures yeah and some might call them really cold temperatures have plunged into the middle of the country we'll talk about what that might mean for the cattle market we'll learn about how a nasa engineer was inspired to bring his expertise to the ag world and we'll get a grit with grace story that will leave you inspired to do more
1: Live from the calm before the storm in this area via Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Agritalk. This morning we'll have a grade A prime conversation with Greg Henderson of Drovers. Then we'll have a grit with grace story with Brooke Clay Taylor. And we're going to talk about exciting new technology with Ben Peterson and Jacob Cordova of Bright Yeti. Michelle Rook is here to present the news. I, Big Apple Joe Stackler, is here to press the buttons. And Chip Flory is here to host this thing we call Agritalk. (laughs)
0: wonderful thank you so much joe appreciate that and thank you for joining us uh joe yeah just so you know stay tuned it's coming i would guess it you know looking outside the window of the bunker right now i would it it looks like five to six inches of snow is what we picked up but it's the wind we're and and, well and the temperatures we're sitting here with temperatures about 10 degrees below zero and um wind blowing 18 to 20 mile an hour gusting a little heavier than that and we're getting wind chills down into that 30 35 below so it yeah yeah it's it, winter is here there's no question about it buddy
1: oh all right i guess
0: yeah and it's coming your way so be prepared <laughs> all right i guess it's just, <laughs> i don't know you know i don't know if the lake's gonna if the lake's gonna be able to, oh, to protect, uh, protect us? you this time
1: yeah uh I- it depends on which direction it's coming from, like straight. If it's coming straight due east, directly yeah. from the west, like right along yeah. you know, I-80, there's yeah. a chance. But if it's coming from the southwest, kind of coming up, avoiding that, that protective wall that uh, yeah. Lake Michigan often provides for us here, yeah. we don't have a chance.
0: Right. Right. I don't think you've got a chance. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you later. All right. Let's bring in Michelle Rook. How are you this morning, Michelle?
2: I'm fine. There is nobody talking about weather today. No. No,
0: no, I haven't heard much chatter about it at all. Nothing. It's not like there's anything else going on in the world, right?
2: Yeah, that's for (laughs) sure. And I laugh around here because, you know, they keep telling me to brace for the storm. And I'm like, hey, you have not seen anything. If you haven't grown up in the Dakotas and seen a snowstorm. Yeah, how
0: much time have you spent in Yankton? You know what? One time when I was in Yankton, for a for a pro farmer seminar, the Holiday Inn right there, okay? You know, it's got the inside door and the door to the outside. You know which one I'm talking about or Yeah, that's actually
2: the be. Best Western.
0: Okay. Right oh, okay, next to okay, okay.
2: The radio station I used to work at.
0: <laughs> so, I was I was staying there. Um Mike Walston was staying there and uh, there was somebody else, but when when Mike got up in the morning, he gave me a call and he says you got to come see this. So I go over to his room. He literally had a snow drift in his room. It came in under the it. door. Yeah, But I
2: grew was- up about 100 miles north of there, remember? Northeast South yeah. Dakota is even worse. So That's right. Yeah.
0: That's right. Okay, Michelle, let's get to it. What do you got in the news? Well,
2: speaking of that storm, it continues to make yep. its way to the east. Northern Michigan on the leading edge of the snowfall, sweeping back into Wisconsin, eastern Iowa, Missouri, into Kansas and Oklahoma, On the backside of the snow is wind and dangerously cold temperatures and below zero wind chills. That storm expected to make its way east by the weekend, resulting in widespread Christmas travel disruptions, obviously impacting as well uh, livestock. So I know you're talking about that coming up.
0: Yep, we've got Henderson coming up to give us the down low on that.
2: Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer from New York says the Senate is close to an agreement that would allow the chamber to finish work on the $1.66 trillion omnibus spending bill. Funding for the government runs out Friday night. So Senate Democrats are attempting to push through the 4,100-page spending bill to keep the government open for Christmas. Senator Mike Lee from Utah has an amendment that would extend the Biden administration's use of Title 42 authority at the border. That restricts asylum claims for migrants crossing the border into the U.S. Now, the omnibus package includes $785 million for migrant services, such as food and shelter. And as more details of the massive spending bill are unveiled, pro-farmer policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer says there are over $15 billion in earmarks for 7,200 projects for lawmakers, home states, and districts. Imagine that. You know,
0: Michelle, we haven't had uh, an opportunity to talk about your opinion of earmarks, I'm actually all for earmarks if they are done properly and follow the rule of the law. When all you do is raise your hand and say, yeah, I've got something I want included too. You're not going to get my vote unless it's included in this package. That's not the right way for earmarks. Earmarks, there's, there's a process to go through. And like I said, if you follow the process, I'm all for it. But doing it this way stinks. It's like robbery.
2: Well, yeah, and they're trying to shove it through so fast that, you know, I agree. Uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky addressed a joint session of Congress Wednesday night and expressed gratitude for U.S. support. Now, this was his first overseas trip since the Russia invasion of his country began. In a speech Wednesday, the leader called for more U.S. help and stronger sanctions against Moscow, telling lawmakers Ukraine will never surrender and that their support is not charity but an investment in democracy. Western intelligence officials have found no evidence, or conclusive evidence anyways, to blame Russia for the Nord Stream pipeline bombing. Who bombed the undersea gas pipeline in late September remains one of the biggest mysteries of the Ukraine war, and though world leaders were quick to point fingers at Moscow, a growing number of countries investigating the attack now doubt the Kremlin was responsible Mm. for the sabotage. In this week's, uh, in this morning's weekly export sales report for the week that ended December 15th, corn, wheat, Sales were both on the low end of trade expectations, maybe being sales fell just short of what traders expected. Cotton exports actually featured a big net reduction in sales commitments that triggered off a sell-off in the cotton market. The last time I checked, we were limit down on the March. Mm-hmm. Data from the National Association of Realtors released on Wednesday showed existing home sales dropping the 10th consecutive month in November. Now, the November annualized sales pace dipped 7.7% from October and 35.5% compared to the previous year. The rapid rise in mortgage rates was the principal reason for the slowdown in sales, and the rise in interest rates is likely to continue after it was learned the U.S. economy grew at an annualized rate of 3.2% in the third quarter of 2022. The growth pace followed two consecutive quarters of economic growth contraction to start the year and beat expectations of a 2.9% growth rate. And finally, the Senate approved the long-stalled nomination of Alexis Taylor to be USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Ag Services after holds on the nomination were removed in negotiations Wednesday. She was cleared by the Senate by a unanimous vote, prompting several lawmakers and groups to quickly issue statements hailing the move. Two other nominees, though, are still pending approval. These would fill the positions of USDA Undersecretary for Food Safety and the Chief Ag Negotiator at the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. There are strong indications these positions will be filled before the end of the year. Amen. And yes. it's been a long time coming. Absolutely. Give them the
0: people that they need to get
2: their job done. Absolutely. It, it, it,
0: You know, um, I know that USDA Secretary Vilsack has says, listen, you know what? It's not like we're not looking at trade and not focused on trade. But when it's your job every day to come into the office and focus on trade, it's different. Yeah, these are
2: huge positions.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Michelle. We'll talk to you this afternoon. Thank you so much. All right. That is Michelle Rook. When we come back, we're talking all things cattle. We've got Greg Henderson from Drover's.
5: Agritalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today.
0: Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip Laurie. Glad that you're with us this morning. Stay warm out there, that's for sure. There's a lot of guys that really don't have the option, and uh, those are guys that are taking care of livestock. Hats off to you guys today, man. I grew up on a livestock farm. I know what it's like, and uh, it can be no fun, you know, trying to keep the waters from the waters flowing and 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 uh, the cattle and and hogs comfortable and everything. It's not an easy task, no question about it. So keep up the good work. All right, Greg Henderson, editorial director at Grover's, joins us right now. We're going to be talking about the cattle and beef outlook for 2023, Greg. Welcome, good, buddy. Appreciate you. Good,
6: good morning, Chip. Uh, as we speak, it just stopped snowing here in Kansas City, so uh, the wind has not stopped, but at least the snow has.
0: Right, right. Yeah, we got to that point early this morning, and uh, so now we've got things kind of blowing around out there. And, and you know, that's exactly what the forecaster said. It's not like we're going to have continuous snow uh, into Saturday, but those doggone winds... And this snow is so light, it looks like, that it's going to be blown around for for a couple of days. That's why we've got the blizzard warnings out there. So, yep. Um, well, as long as we're talking about weather, you know, Greg, when you take a look at this cattle market, and it's not unusual to have a weather market in, in corn, soybeans, oats, whatever. But this this cattle market is as much influenced by weather as any market that's ever existed, isn't it? Well, that's absolutely uh, correct,
6: uh, Chip. You know, uh, the drought that we have now uh, is has become just as bad as the one that we had a decade ago um, and, and obviously caused uh, weatherman us by La Nina, which is that cooling of the ocean temperatures off of South America. We hope that that subsides this spring and men are telling us that it will. Um, if that happens, we're gonna see weather return to more normal conditions in the central plains. We certainly need that. Uh, yep. Point being, Chip, is that this drought that we're in now has had a much different effect on the cattle industry than the one a decade ago, and when I say that, it's obviously because of higher costs, higher interest rates, inflation, higher fuel prices, uh, Calcaf operating margins, for instance, are at least one hundred and twenty-five dollars a year higher than they were a decade ago. A significant okay. factor. Chip.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hey, Greg, I don't know if you shifted away from your mic a little bit or something like that, but you're just a touch difficult to hear. Uh, can you, if, if just to to let you know, but there we're we're dealing with. Many, And it's not just an impact for 2022, but let's talk about that first, because we've seen more cows come into the system, into the beef system, than what we did in that earlier drought back in 2012 that you were talking about, haven't we?
6: Absolutely. We saw record cow slaughter, uh, and, and that cow culling rate was 13%, which is a record. Um, uh, certainly what happens here is we keep pulling these cows out of the, uh, you know, out of production and, yep. and our heifer slaughter rate remains high, uh, well over a year ago, even though we're placing fewer cattle on feed all fall. So we keep shrinking that, that factory, if you will, uh, yeah. so that when we finally get some rain, it's going to be extremely hard to, uh, gr- start to grow yeah. that cow herd again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it it's lasted long enough and taken us deep enough that when there is incentive for the cow calf guys to start rebuilding the herd, they're going to be competing with the feed yards. And how often does that happen? That we're we're competing for for the females between the cow calf guy and the and the feeders. It it just right. It, it it's right. A rarity. So it's, it's
6: basically it's it's basically shuffled this whole leverage deck. And we talked about the leverage yeah. shifting away from the packer to, and, and in favor of the of the feed yards. But there's also a le- leverage shift going on between cow-calf operators, stocker operators, and feedlots. And if we remember back to that drought a, uh, a decade ago, uh, we saw record cow-calf profits. Uh, yep. John Nalifka, uh measured it at maybe $500 per cow back in 2014. Yeah. Um the the flip side of that is that feed yards are going to find increasing prices for the feeder cattle and higher break evens. They've already got higher break evens. Um, if you remember, the end of 2015 was a complete train wreck for the feed yards. So let's hope we don't get ourselves uh, into that same situation again, because uh, as as we've said many times, everybody in the production side of the cow cow business. Uh, need some healing time Yeah, uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So those females coming into the slaughter system have added to the supply. But as we look forward, the 2022 calf crop, I mean, that's really going to tighten up supplies for us in the second half of 23, isn't it?
6: Yes. Nalivka suggested our uh, beef cow number is going to be around 29 million. That's down 3%. He's suggesting that the uh, uh, calf crop, which was 34 million last year, is going to be down another 500,000 head. And that estimated feeder cattle supply, which is the number of cattle outside of feed yards that feed yards can, can purchase, or, you know, that feeder cattle supply will be down next to a million head next year, which is, is a huge number, all 4% ship. Um, Right. Again, that's going to drive prices higher. Uh, Not necessarily going to make everybody more money uh, throughout the chain, but it is going to be higher prices.
0: Right. Exactly. That's a great point because the costs for most everything else are going to be going up for the feed yards. Those calves are going to have to be more expensive. The, 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 the inputs, uh, to maintain that cow-calf herd. There may be some slippage, depends on the weather that we've gotten 23, but nonetheless, they're still looking at increased costs out there. So it's still a margin game. we got to remember that as, as we're going forward. Greg, an interesting thing here. I mean, you talked about a huge cut to the market cattle supply going forward. Then you said 4%. You know that's a huge cut. I know that's a huge cut those involved in the cattle industry do, but for consumers out there, you know, they need to understand that this cattle market, the hog market too, a shift of 1% in either direction on the supply side or on the demand side is a major, major influence on where these markets are going, isn't it?
6: Well, absolutely it is. And, you know, we've talked about inflation many times this year, Chip, and it it certainly is a factor. Uh, What we've seen since uh, early October is that beef and pork have not necessarily contributed to those inflationary uh, effects. Um, Those prices have been down since October 1, uh, year over year, and we're, we're heading into next year. And obviously, that, that demand is strong, but those prices are going to go up, um, more next year, just probably not at that inflationary rate that we're seeing for all goods and services, but consumer demand for both beef and pork since the pandemic has been exceptional chip. We've talked about this before, um, beef demands the best it's been in in 30 years Uh, and consumers are paying more for higher quality products than they ever have before. And going back to the previous drought, this is much different than what it was then, because for example, Chip, we have, we're now producing almost 10% prime beef. It was about 3% back in the yeah. 2014, 2015 timeframe. So we're producing better quality product and consumers still want it. They're still paying up for it. Yeah. So demand is just a, a huge thing in our favor
0: yep yep you know we've talked about the expectations for the cattle on, for friday's cattle on feed report on the show already but your your final note and we've only got about a minute left for this talk about the sustainability in the industry and the 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 increase in efficiency
6: well uh, i think the biggest statistic we can talk about here is that the u.s beef industry will produce five billion more pounds in 2022, than it did in 1975, with 40 40 million fewer cattle. So mm. what that's saying it's those cows are producing higher quality, heavier animals, more beef, more sustainability. There, Chip. Yep. Uh, if you remember, yep. 1975 was the peak number. I believe it was 132 million head total. This year's number would will in January one will be about 90 million total cattle and calves in the united states oh a a fantastic story for producers
0: yep yep you know we got to care for the cattle we've got to you know be good stewards of the cattle industry but that right there tells you that if you're going to be a marketer you probably better be focused on the beef that's coming out and it's uh it's an interesting yet subtle difference there that we're talking about or we'll talk about that more in the future greg thank you my friend i appreciate you merry christmas
6: merry christmas chip thank you very much
3: from powering irrigation engines to warming buildings propane has always been a part of american farm life now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time
4: With the experts from Pro Farmer.
0: Joining us now, Pro Farmer editor Brian Grady. Beach, yesterday the soybean market, soy complex was hesitant to move to the upside. Today they're leading the way to the downside. What's going on?
7: Yeah, there's a couple fundamental factors, Chip. Uh, you know, rains are a forecast to, to move through Argentina the next couple days here. Uh, So, basically, late today through uh, the weekend, and and so that'll provide some relief, uh, probably temporary relief. I doubt if the rains are enough to completely eliminate the drought there, but uh, that's a little bit of the the price pressure. And the other one is uh, weekly export sales were on the disappointing side, so uh, down significantly from last week's total, uh, which was huge at almost 3 million tons, but uh, uh, below expectations, and and so that's given uh, traders just encouragement to take some profits out of the long side of the market. Uh, same thing's happening in meal and, and also in soy oil with uh, pretty broad based uh, selling across the soy complex. That's spilling over into the corn market. Okay. Uh, on the wheat side of things, uh, SRW and spring wheat futures are a little bit weaker. HRW w futures are being supported by that cold blast. I mean, it, it's really cold out here, and, and there's probably going to be some winter kill issues, uh, but we won't know the extent of that until spring, and it'll depend on uh, spring weather.
0: Right. Any influence of the cold blast on the livestock trade?
7: Yeah, not really. Uh, still waiting on cash cow trade, so that's been slow to develop. So the, the packer and the feedlot hasn't uh, been in any hurry uh, to, to move cattle this week or, or negotiate sales this week. And, and uh, that's somewhat of a surprise and limiting buyer interest in live cattle futures, which are mildly weaker. Uh, feeder cattle are trading mostly firmer, as is uh, the hog market this morning.
0: All right, good stuff, Brian. We'll talk to you tomorrow. That is Pro Farmer Editor, Brian Grady on Markets Now.
5: Opinions expressed on Agritalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We don't make the news. We render
0: it. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. We've got a conversation with Brooke Clay Taylor coming up here in just a moment. But first, let's go ahead and make time for this. Yields in the Fields.
5: Yields in the Fields on AgriTalk is brought to you by Micro Essentials from Mosaic, the science of more. Discover our proven products. Text YIELDS to 31313.
0: All right. Growers in Northeast Iowa this year had an excellent growing season. Uh, There were some issues with green snap in June, some other storms, but the season was generally very good. That is until a frost hit just a few days too early. Now, as growers are looking back at the 2022 season, many producers point to that frost as a big reason that corn yields fell just short of some lofty expectations. Yields in the Fields is brought to you by MicroEssentials from Mosaic. All right. Let's make time for this Grit with Grace story. It's made possible by Zoetis. Thank you to Zoetis. And joining us now is Brooke Clay Taylor. Brooke, good morning. How are you today?
8: Good morning. I'm wonderful. How are you?
0: Good, good, good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Uh, Brooke, where are you at? Where do you and your family live?
8: We live in eastern Oklahoma, southeast of Tulsa.
0: Gotcha. Now, you grew up in Oklahoma, right?
8: I did. Um, I'm originally from Indiana, but my family made the trek to Oklahoma when I was in middle school. So I'm a dual citizen, but I grew up in what I like (laughs) to call Stillwater's greatest suburb of Perkins, Oklahoma.
0: They're in Stillwater. So OSU all the way?
8: All the way, two degrees and one homecoming crown. Just made it it a a whole thing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Love it. Love it. Those degrees are in what?
8: I have an undergrad in agricultural communications and a master's in international agriculture.
0: Okay. So you've always been involved in the business of ag, haven't you?
8: Absolutely. Um, yeah. I believe I'm fifth generation agriculturalist on one side of the family, second on the other. It's just who I am. I came yeah. out of the womb ready to to dig in the dirt.
0: Yeah. Yeah, love it. So, your what? What? Uh, what have you been doing in agriculture? What? What's your career look like?
8: Great question. So, when I graduated from Oklahoma State, I started working in commodity organizations, and I found that I was really good at the creativity of marketing and communications, which led me to work for advertising agencies kind of across the country, working with national and international ag and food brands. And that really lends itself to brand storytelling, marketing, connecting directly with consumers. So before people were using the term influencers, I was helping yeah. large brands connect with, you know, content creators and influencers and help, you know, really dive into what's happening on our farms and ranches.
0: Yep. Now, did you get to do all of that from Oklahoma?
8: No, I had to leave Oklahoma for a little while. Yeah. So I lived in Nashville, worked in Boston, um, lived in Austin while working in Wisconsin. But then, you know, I missed Oklahoma. I love the Red Jet Roads. I love the winter wheat. I love the black yeah. kettle. I love the blue sky. And so I moved home and launched my own agency, which allowed me to do the same work, but rely on spotty internet um yeah. <laughs> rural internet as we all know. But it really gave me some fun opportunities. I worked, you know, with the Oklahoma Beef Council. I worked with an NBA um talent to do some really, really cool video yeah. concepts. I worked on a TV show that was on RFD, uh chasing down Madison Brown as their their ag yeah. editor. And I've done some really fun, cool stuff, but I still cool. get to do it from here in Oklahoma.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah. I I spent three and a half years in Chicago as well after growing up in Eastern Iowa, but boy, I wouldn't trade that experience for the world. No way, no how would I trade that experience. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm glad that I got back to Iowa when I did, because it was time to start a family and, and get going there. Tell us about your family.
8: My family. Oh, I have the best family. I have a three and a half year old Her name is Elsie. Um, My husband, Damon, he manages a wildlife refuge on behalf of the Department of the Interior. So he's living his dream job. Um, We have a nice little family. We're iced in here in Oklahoma today. We've got the fire going. We just live in the dream.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. So when you were pregnant with uh, Elsie, you found out that there was a problem with your health. When did you figure out that you had cancer?
8: So I was diagnosed with stage two triple negative breast cancer. The day that I became a mom, um, throughout my pregnancy, I was concerned about something might be wrong, but I was, I was told that I was the first time mom, you know, first time heifer. I didn't know what to yeah. expect. And so I listened to my doctors and, you know, that 38 week appointment, that checkup when I was very heavy bred, um, I took off my shirt and I said, I can't leave this office until you feel this. And it was cancer and they, you know, it it was confirmed the day, you know, it was eight o'clock on Monday morning. They called and said, Hey kiddo, it's cancer. And by two o'clock that day, Elsie had entered the world and that I don't know one without the other. I've, I don't know how to be a mom without the lingering fear of cancer. And I don't know how to fight cancer without the lingering fear of leaving my child. And, um, it's all just kind of Messy, but you know, I, I, I gave it a really good college effort. You know, I did the entire yeah. brush treatment cancer buffet, and I came out the other side winning. I did yeah. everything right; it was a perfect cancer student. And they said no evidence of disease. I went back living my life. I grew out my hair. I um, mm-hmm. dug back into working with some really amazing agricultural clients. I learned how to be a mom and. In March of this year, it came back and it was very angry. Um, The cancer was um, just everywhere. It looked like I'd been sprayed by a shotgun shell, like kind of on that, on that scan. It was in my neck, my clavicle, my ribs, my spine, half of my pelvis. And Mm. my child was two and a half years old. And I realized she's not going to remember me. She's not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Brooke, with all of that going on, I mean, you face more yeah. than your share of challenges. How do you handle sure. it? How do you put a smile on your face each day? Because I know you oh, do.
8: Re- yeah, I do. I do. I. You know what? It's really cliche to say, look for the silver linings. But, man, you have to because good things happen in chaos. And, you know, I'm not going to stop having fun with my family or stop having amazing clients. Because there's this lingering "what if," because something could happen to any of us any day. Yeah. I just happen to have one foot in the door to to heaven graduation. I don't want to go there, and and fortunately, I've had. You're not going to believe this, but I need you to. Yeah. I need you to. It's Christmas time. You got to believe this to some level. I started a medicine um, specific to my cancer that was approved for my use the day I was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And within three months, I had a clear scan. I had another clear scan in three months. My next scan is not till February, but nothing is on my scan right now. And that is the best possible. I know. Isn't that insane? I told you all the places it was. And when I tell you my last scan, like my, my oncologist won't say it's not there, but it's not showing up. It's not lighting up on the scan. So sure. It could be there. But yeah. what if it is, Well, you, you know, know, it's not right now
0: with the way that it's it up on you a second time, Brooke, I would be hesitant to say yeah. that it's gone too.
8: Yeah. And he won't. And that's okay. We're just going to stay the course and we're going to be grateful that's that on this Christmas, I am here and I'm enjoying it with my family. And we're, you know, in the middle of a snowstorm and yeah. we're just having the fire going and we're, we're just enjoying it. And I think yeah. that's the, the only way, you know, a lot of people say, Um, you're such an inspiration or I don't know how you do it. And the truth is there's no secret sauce. I'm just a girl from rural America who would do exactly what anyone else would do. And that is just do the next right thing and put one foot in front of the other and pull your, pull your boots up. But you know, we just, we just do it and we do it. And well, that's where, that's where I am. On your
0: website. I love the message there that you've got. You got to live intentionally, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah, We get to choose
8: every day how we're going to show up.
0: Yep. Exactly. Now we, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but we got to talk about your foundation. Uh, You started it last year. Tell me about it.
8: All right. So in the trenches of grief of, oh my gosh, it is, I'm a goner. Like I'm meeting Jesus sooner than I'd like. All I could think about was, How will my child know me? How will she know who I am? And I, in my grief, had this idea of launching a foundation while I'm here, while I can impact it. And I rallied the folks around me and everyone said yes. And so now there is an actual foundation that represents the three hardest pillars of my life. And that is scholarships for B and C students, because sometimes you're feeding calves before school, you're playing basketball after school and grades aren't the most important. They are important but they're not. So Thank you for that. Yes. Like let's <laughs> just get people who need to go to college to college, like A's or not the yep. B or the second pillar is small business owners. Cause I moved home from Nashville to launch my own business in Oklahoma, living in an apartment in a horse barn on my dad's place. And man, I could have used a handout someone to say, I believe in you. And here's, here's some help in launching your business. And then the third pillar is supporting women like me who are fighting a terminal diagnosis and filling in the gap of memory making and leaving behind a legacy. For example, I probably have 40,000 photos on my phone of me and my child, but if I leave tomorrow and that, you know, phones, they're going to become outdated. Who are going to print all those photos? Do they just go away? And that's not free and insurance doesn't cover it.
0: That's right. Brooke, we're, we are almost out of time. I got to let people know that Tyne Morgan is going to be telling the rest of your story and and your story on U.S. Farm Report this weekend and next weekend. So people need to tune in for that. What's the name of your foundation?
8: The Rural Gone Urban Foundation.
0: Absolutely. Check it out. I've looked at it. It's really cool. Uh, Get there. Take a look. Brooke, you're an inspiration. You are. Whether you want to be or not, you really are. So Merry Christmas to you.
3: Merry Christmas.
0: All right. That is Brooke Clay Taylor. Wow. We'll be right back.
3: From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time.
4: The best talkers in ag,
5: including you. Join the conversation on Agritalk. Call us at
0: 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to Agritalk. Glad that you are with us this morning. Okay, we're going to learn about a company called Bright Yeti and a process that they are bringing to the market. And it's interesting to me. And I went to the website this morning because I was looking for a quick way to explain what it is they do before we get to the meat of the conversation. So I'm going to read this straight from www.brightyeti.com. Bright Yeti is a technology company developing software and automated systems that increase crop yields without more land or chemical inputs. How? With plant electrophysiology. Joining us now to talk about it, Jacob Cordova. He is the president and CEO of Bright Yeti. Jacob, welcome to AgriTalk.
9: Chip, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. Also on the line, Iowa farmer Ben Peterson from Lake Mills. Ben, it's good to talk with you again, man.
10: Chip, great to talk with you as always.
0: All right. All right. Jacob, uh, give us the genesis of this idea. What made you think that electrophysiology would work to increase yields?
9: Yeah, thanks, Chip. Um, So my background is engineering. I started my career working on the NASA Orion manned spaceflight program. There I was a product engineer supporting the space capsule habitation and the environmental controls and life support teams. A lot of things that we needed to do to help protect the crew in space, including things that come back down to electrophysiology of human beings, those characteristics. Mm -hmm. While I was out there, I also spent some time with Engineers Without Borders and became the president of EWB at Johnson Space Center before moving to Denver with Lockheed Martin. Uh, And while I was there, we did some spacecraft manufacturing work, uh, supported electrochemistry processes, uh, and then that kind of translated and set the foundation for interesting things that exist in science, uh, really mostly in the medical field uh, that don't really exist in agriculture yet. And that's where kind of the genesis of electrophysiology really took off for us.
0: Okay. Very cool. Ben, I want to ask you, what is the process? Because the idea is not to use electrophysiology on the plants, but rather it's used to wake up or I'm sorry to say this jumpstart the seeds, right?
10: Yeah. And ironically, uh, Ironic to Jacob's background, it's not rocket science to use the, <laughs> to use the system. If you can, if farmers can put seed in a pro box and remove it from a pro box, they can use the system without going into a whole bunch of unnecessary detail. Jacob and his team have taken care of all the science and all of the, the complicated stuff in the background and made it a very, very easy to use system. Um, I mean, as compared to running a planter or any other, other complex machinery these days, yeah, far easier than that.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so Jacob, how, you know what, maybe more appropriately, why does this work to increase yields?
9: Yeah, it's it's, it's quite awesome to see where the technology has come over the years. Um, and it's helpful to go into the electric physiology in that sense. So, What we're doing is helping farmers get more profitable by giving them a way to increase their yields and lower the need for agriculture chemicals. And the way we do that is with electrophysiology. If you've heard of a pacemaker, if you've heard of a hospital MRI machine, those are electrophysiology products that have existed for human medicine for years. The MRI was invented in the 70s and the pacemaker was invented in the 60s. And so this is a well-established science in the medical sector that's seen decades of research and billions of dollars invested in these life-changing products. But when it comes down to crop electrophysiology, that's primarily been an area of academic research. Lab studies there have been showing amazing results in how the technology can dramatically impact cellular metabolism and yield. And so we see that as a big opportunity for commercialization. After years of R&D testing, and successful third party yield validation trials. We're doing some really interesting things and uh, forming some great strategic partnerships to move forward. I think the best way to describe what we're doing is really energizing the seat from the outside in using electrical charges. That's kind of what the MRI is doing when a doctor is taking a scan of your body. They're applying these electromagnetic fields around the body and they take an image because the body responds to that field. There's ions inside of human beings and inside of plant cells. So we looked at that and said, well, what can we do to go deeper on that for plants? And would it result in greater yields? And we're super excited with the results we've seen.
0: Okay, Ben, you've used it on your farm. What are the results?
10: Faster, more vigorous emergence, especially in challenging conditions. In uh, uh, 21, we, we had to plant three inches deep It was very dry that spring and very cold. Uh, Just you never know what you're going to get. It's a box of chocolates every spring is as (laughs) as most guys know. Uh, And I was just shocked to see uh, the consistency with which we had corn emerge. Uh, And on top of that, uh, the check we did have this past year uh, showed us eight bushel an acre on corn, which uh, is very impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is now. Eight bushels for Ben, but Jacob, there's some other results out there, some university efforts that are showing some even stronger results, aren't there?
9: Yeah, one of the things that we wanted to to, to really put on the on the map before talking about this more publicly was utilize uh, third-party yield validation trials. And uh, the contract research organization we use for that is a group that's used by other companies that you might have heard of, like Pioneer and Monsanto and in those trials we tested the technology in uh, Moreland, Iowa OCH Iowa and Wayne Nebraska and in each of those different sites run by different farmers with their own operational parameters we saw 17.2 14.5, and 14.8 bushel per acre increases
0: cool cool that's very cool you know this when when i met you over to over at uh, FBN's farmer to farmer um, this intrigued me so much that I felt like we need to at least get this conversation started. But I got a feeling, Jacob and and Ben, um, that Bright Yeti and the technology that you were bringing forward is going to be something that uh, a lot of people are going to take a look at in the future. So, uh, it, it, interesting conversation. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us this morning and, and filling us in on what you're doing, Jacob. Appreciate you, man.
9: Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it.
0: All right, Ben, thank you as well.
10: Thank you, Chip.
0: All right, Merry Christmas, guys. We'll talk with you again soon. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. Chad Hart from Iowa State University.